I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast, Justin Cuthbert and Julian McKenzie. And we're going to talk about John Tortorella and Connor McDavid. Vancouver Canucks being real bad and the latest Hall of Fame class to go into SO Hall there on Front Street in Toronto. But I'd be remiss and it would be a mistake to not start the show by asking you, Julian, how your lips are feeling. They're not, they don't have the same burning sensation that they had last night <laughs> uh, or Saturday night, I guess, whenever you listen to this. Uh, okay, give, give, give some, give some uh, listeners the you know, the whole story here. And then, uh, yeah, I'll grill you a bit for sure. Uh, so, uh, my friend, Andrew Berkshire hosts a show called the game over podcast, which he does after every Montreal Canadiens game, where you just get some special guests just to talk about, uh, what happened in the Montreal Canadiens game that happened that night. And he asked me if, uh, after uh, the Saturday night encounter between the Canadians and the Red Wings, if we would go through the hot ones gauntlet together, basically we had, uh, 10 sets of chicken wings, uh, we went through all these sauces that are used on the actual Hot Ones YouTube show with Sean Evans. And uh, they were really hot. Like the first like six or seven, you know, they, they got hotter and hotter, but they were actually like super pleasant. And then you get to the bomb and it's just heat and it, there's nothing good about it. It was just unbearably terrible. And like that was the closest feeling I wanted to like die from doing all of this. And then like number nine is just like a, like a soft one. And then you do like the last dab and I need to compose my, I needed like 10 minutes before I could actually compose myself. It was actually awful, but I didn't need milk until the very end. Uh, if you want to watch it on YouTube, it's out there on YouTube on the SDPN YouTube page. If you're into ASMR and into us like <laughs> huffing to the sounds of us huffing chicken wings, you could find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts as well. But uh, the video one is definitely better than the audio one. So how did this work? Were they like tossed in the sauce or did you just like the dab is the, th- the dab is the hot ones thing, right? Like just put a little yeah. thing so, on a, so like a dry chicken wing. So like all of them were tossed in each of the sauces. Uh, and so then, that's like, more extreme than a normal hot ones. No. Well, I think it's supposed to be, I think that's how it's supposed to be. And then for like the last one, you are like, it's supposed to be doused in the sauce and then you dab at the end. Oh, if you actually put a little extra, yeah, you add the little extra, but uh, yeah, they were all doused in each of the respective sauces that we use. So uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's exactly what they do in the show. So it was just about the same thing. I mean, I've been trying to train myself with hot foods. I wasn't exactly like, 
It wasn't exactly a thing for me growing up. Hot foods were a little bland in my no. family. Come on. Uh, so I've been trying. I've been trying to, you know, do my best. But uh, I don't think I could ever do like a chicken wings challenge because it's like the worst type of hot food to eat because it's all over you. It's on your lips. It's on the outside of your mouth. It's on your fingers. You can't like contain it within just your body. It's like it's already worse. It's already bad enough that like the heat like comes out of you, but it's on on you as well. Like that's a big just don't put it on your face. Just just don't put it on your face. It's impossible though. No, it is possible. Like I made sure like anytime I was done with my wing, like I go to a napkin, I rub my fingers off of the sauce, whatever. And I mm-hmm. make sure I do not touch my face. If you touch your face, you're dead. Like if your lips are burning, that's one thing. But your face, your eyes, oh, that just makes the experience way more unpleasant. Also, don't go into it like when you go through like, the first few sauces and you think everything is just like, okay, don't take that for granted. Just like be like, all right, I got through this one. I got through the next one. If you start getting cocky and too confident with it, by the time you get to six or seven, you're done. This may be too much information, but you've already dropped ASMR. So like when I eat spicy food, my eyebrows sweat and I'm like, thick eyebrows, <laughs> right? My eyebrows will yeah. sweat and you can like feel it. And like, but if I had like really hot wings, I'm convinced they're like, there'd actually be like drops coming, not from my hairline, from my eyebrows, which yeah, be gross, but uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Are you, are you like normally a hot food guy? Like, uh, not like, not like, I mean, like, I wouldn't say that I have like spicy food all the time, but definitely, uh, growing up in the household that I came up in, uh, being of half Trinidadian descent, half Jamaican descent, I'm very used to having pepper sauce around in my food and like some of the ingredients like scotch bonnet and like Trinidad pepper and some of the stuff like, okay, like I recognize some of that stuff. So like, I wasn't that intimidated when i saw like ghost pepper stuff i'd be like whoa whoa, whoa. okay i was a little shook because that that really got me this one time i had it but i think i did a lot better than i gave myself credit for i thought i was going to tap out around six or seven but i didn't even need milk until like the very end and i like chugged like an entire glass full at the very possible end but like i'm 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 pretty proud of myself i'm pretty proud of myself i'd always wanted to try it and i'm very happy i cleared through it and like survived I'm not sure if you overlapped here with Andrew Zuber, the Zoobs on Twitter, who had like the best tweet about hot food for folks like Zuber and I, where we just like, you, you, let's say you're getting a burrito or you're going to a place, a Mexican place, yeah. like you have to like hurt yourself a little bit just to just to try. And you over and over again, you know that it's not going to get any better, but you do it every time for reasons that I don't understand. And clearly he doesn't understand. A lot of us don't understand, but like, it's just, it's like... Why do you have to know. hurt yourself? It's, it's some sort of like, I don't know, confidence what? thing or like. Why do you have to trying... hurt yourself? I mean, you're the one to hurt yourself on YouTube. I would never do it in a public space. I, I mean, like, okay, okay. That one, at least like, you know, it was still fun at the end of the day, right? Like it was very painful, but it, at near the end, but like, it was fun at least. Like, don't, don't go into it thinking, man, I'm just going to hurt myself. I was going to, I mean, you know what? I say that and I kind of did feel that way a bit. Just. To go into hot food when you're eating it regularly and not for clicks on YouTube, don't go into it with the purpose of thinking, man, I'm going to hurt myself. Go into it thinking it's fun. What we did uh, over the weekend, that was just like, we're doing it for the, we're doing it for YouTube. We're doing it for the grab. But if you're going out with your buddies on like Young or, or Ossington or I don't know where you get hot food in Toronto, to be quite honest with you, but like wherever you go, get it, like go in for that to have fun. 
it's you, fun. You, it's supposed you to be did fun. it for content. We do it, or I've done it just, you know, by myself because I'm convinced it'll get better one day when really it doesn't get any better. <laughs> that sounds so this, sad we, when you put it we, like we that. We don't build up tolerance. Like tolerance is not a thing with spicy food. It's either you got it or you don't. That's a, that's how I'm convinced. Why did At you least. make that sound so sad? It's all like I go by myself. And I hope. It well, gets I mean, better, I mean, just but like it doesn't. You know, <laughs> <laughs> eating by myself doesn't get better. It doesn't get yeah, better. It's, not, it's, not, it's not a sad story. It's not a sad story. It's just, I, I, you know, it's a thermoregulation thing. Like sweating is bad enough already, and add spicy food yeah. to the mix, and it's not going to be the, the worst part. This is the last thing I'll say about it. The worst part about it was I came in wearing a hoodie, and like I think after the seventh or eighth one, I took off my sweater, and I wore this like gray shirt underneath. And it didn't, it, I didn't care about it at all in the moment, but all the sweat I was building under my armpits, mm. I'm definitely like an armpit sweat dude. And Me like, too, I only saw the video after the fact and I'm just seeing myself like, wow, like, oh, I'm dying. And I just see like all the sweat underneath my armpits. I'm just like, that is very embarrassing. That's like the worst, like, I, I knew I was going to be burning with my tongue and all that, but like getting embarrassed online with all the sweat stuff and seeing people point that out, that was, that was honestly the worst part of all of it. See, I haven't learned lessons with spicy food or attempting to eat spicy food, but I have learned lessons about gray t-shirts. I don't own those anymore because we got the same problem, my man. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, man. Nothing to hide fun. there. No, okay, it was fun, though, at least. Let's, let's talk so about check, I, I still got to check that out on YouTube, but everybody else should check that out as well. That's Game Over with Andrew Berkshire on the SDPN. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm right on that. I, I nailed that. Yeah, you were, you were right on that. All righty, let's get on to some hockey talk. And I think the big news of the week, maybe not the big news of the week, but the Twitter fodder of the week was John Tortorella, now an ESPN analyst, former coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets and other teams, Stanley Cup winner with the Tampa Bay Lightning, was all over Connor McDavid at a kind of a weird time because, yeah, I think the Oilers were coming off a loss, but they're 10-3 and on the season. They've been spectacular to start. And Connor McDavid has been Pete Connor McDavid at the very height of his powers and just dominating in not just offensive ways, like in every way possible. It's just like if he's on the ice, good things happening for the Edmonton Oilers. But he had some interesting criticism, not a criticism we haven't heard before. The words shut up were words I don't think we've necessarily heard from Tortorella, but him saying that he needs to change his game despite the prolific scoring. And I guess he's right to a certain extent, meaning McDavid scored 100 points plus in 56 games last year. And they, like previous seasons, did not have any success in the postseason, losing in four games to the Winnipeg Jets. So, yeah, maybe he's got to still change his game, but I think he has changed his game a little bit. I think he's a way better defensive player. And, again, beyond the fact that he's better in his defensive zone, he's the best defense is just holding the puck at all times and threatening um, the other way. So I do think he's improved in that regard. I do think that, yeah, the team has to collectively perform better, and that includes Connor McDavid in the postseason. But it's a weird time to come up with this, and it's weird to think that Connor McDavid, the best player in the world, should shut up about, you know, wanting more penalties called or complaining. I don't hear Connor McDavid complaining that much. I've heard a couple times where he's come out and been like, yeah, this is the situation. But is he going to the mic every game complaining? No. Is he like Sidney Crosby was early in his career when he was – on the ice complaining to referees all the time? No, that's not Connor McDavid's game. So telling him to shut up, the best player in the world to shut up, little disappointing, not just because it from, came from Tortorella, but that it came from ESPN. And I think we should hold them into a little bit of a higher standard because 
This is like NBC playbook stuff, at least in my eyes. Um, I'm not going to, I don't know if I agree on the whole ESPN part of it, because at the end of the day, when you have these, and I understand he is doing work with ESPN, uh, and I, I find, you know what, they didn't necessarily push back on that, but you know, they're going to have, you have the panel with him and, and Butcher Gross and, and Barry Melrose there. You're going to have that variety of opinion. And like so many other sports sports that they cover at ESPN, they have people like that who are going to say those they takes. Do. They do have that. But they have people that push back. And Bucci Gross, yes. I don't think he thinks that. I definitely don't think he agrees with Tortorella. So where's the pushback? I didn't watch the whole thing. I don't I don't have ESPN Plus or whatever you need. I just saw it on Twitter. But like, yeah, you have people that have takes, but there's also arguments and there's also disagreement. And it seems like they're just like, yeah, Tortorella, you can say whatever you want against against the game's okay. best player and we're just like okay we're just talking you know nodding our heads i don't really know that's that didn't okay. do it for me okay i guess that's fair um i'll say this about tortorella and, and what he had to say with mcdavid um this is a guy who won a stanley cup with guys like brad richards Martin saint louis and, and vinnie de cavalier and i'm sure at different points like torts had to go to those guys who we know for their offensive ability and tried to get them to play a more defensive style and it worked out for them for the Stanley Cup so like when I heard him say that I was like okay he's definitely coming from a place where if anyone wanted to check him on it he could always be like well yeah I'm in a situation where I was a defensive-minded coach for a good chunk of my career and I got some of the best players to buy into that system so someone could all but of course those three guys are not on the same level as a Connor McDavid and I think he knows it for sure that he has to make those adjustments in his game to ensure that he can put himself in a position where he can go on a deep run and eventually win a Stanley Cup. So I don't think we necessarily need to worry about that. I do think the him saying shut up was a little bit jarring, I guess. I, I feel like we're at a point right now with, with, with especially NHL players, like none of them really need to be shutting up about too much right now. So I think mm -hmm. that was a big reason why the shut up was just very like, like bit surprising to you yeah bit tone deaf, bit wrong tone choice deaf. of words yeah exactly and he and and tortorella i think before he even said that was like hey like i hope i come across like you know like i, I think he even realized too that like okay like that's what i want to say but like i hope people realize that like i'm using it in the context of what i'm saying well i don't know I, i'm with you i don't necessarily think Connor mcdavid has been spouting off that much about penalties that being said, he, he the officiating ought to go do a whole diatribe about NHL officiating again. They should not be in a position where they're so bad. A guy like Connor McDavid can't buy a penalty. Um, so it, it was a very weird rant. It's hard to disagree totally with where he's coming from, at least because he at least has uh, he has a cup ring off of his style of coaching, John Tortorella. So it's kind of hard to argue with him about that, but. I think we just have to wait and see when it comes to Connor McDavid and whether or not his game has truly changed enough for him to win a cup. And maybe John Tortorella, if he's proven right, he ends up repeating that rant he had about Joe Thornton all those years ago where he should stop complaining about stuff and you'll end up being one of the best players in the league to never win anything, which I would hate for that to happen. So, yeah, I thought that was really weird too. I don't necessarily agree with the fact that ESPN should be getting too much flack for it, but I, 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 I just thought it was just a weird thing for Torts to say, and that's really the best way I could put it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that, like, ESPN should be getting flack per se, but, like, I don't know. I, I just feel like people should be checked on the things they say. And, yes, they bring in oh, of course. literal talking heads that create – we're talking about clicks with wings – literally just there to say outlandish things to bring in clicks. Yeah. Like, that. that's sort of part of their game plan, so I get that. But 
all of those shows have like freeform debate. And I, I just feel like John Bucci-Grouse, the way we've, you know, what we've come to know from him in terms of what he likes in hockey and hockey media and how he's presented himself just in the early days of this, um, you know, this partnership now with the NHL or renewed partnership with the NHL. I feel like he wouldn't agree with that. And he's just kind of like, hmm, and let's go on. I don't know. Maybe that's, I guess, it's a minor beef, but not really a big deal. It's more about Tortorella and what he's saying and whether that's right or wrong. Uh, for context, Connor McDavid has drawn four penalties this season and the league leader has drawn seven. I guess that's actually a five on five. So I will quickly go to all strengths to make sure that I've that correct. But, and while I do that, I will, I'll just go to my next point, which is that John Tortorella, especially from another coach, someone in his fraternity, if they said that about his star player, what would the reaction be? Right? So I think there's a little bit of a hypocritical aspect of this as well. Like if Dave Tippett was on the broadcast and Artemi Panarin will say was still in Columbus and at the height of his power. And he had those things to say 12 games into the season about his star player. I'm sure John Tortorella would not be at, you know, I, I, I'm sure he wouldn't dis, wouldn't agree with the sentiment. I'll just say that. So I'll say I, this I just, about, go I'll ahead. just say this. I definitely think John Tortorella would not appreciate Dave Tippett, if the roles were reversed, he would not anyone talking about anything, by the way, anybody yeah. I'll say that. I don't know if I'll go so far as to say, if he'll agree or whatever, I know for sure, John Tortorella, the next media availability he would get, he'd be like, I don't like him talking about my guy like that. He definitely would do that. And maybe he leaves the press availability in like a huff after like 30 seconds. Right. I don't think he'd appreciate it. So it, it to me, it's like, you know, I think he may be trying to play a role. Maybe he's trying to be, Stephen A to a certain degree. Maybe he's inspired by the fact that Barry Melrose was sitting beside him. I just feel like it was a little bit, you know, it, you it know just wasn't necessary actually? in terms of, go ahead. If, if Stephen A was there, do you think he would have pushed back? A hundred percent. I feel like he would have, it would have been really entertaining. Like he would have done like a whole, like, you're going to try to tell me that you need the best player in the world to change his game. Like, and that would have turned into probably the most entertaining discussion on the NHL, on ESPN, maybe in the history of the network. And, and he would probably compare it to the NFL where the best players, the quarterbacks are protected at all costs. And if you hit them low, if you hit them late, if you hit them high, you're going to be penalized. And yep. guess what? The NFL is probably a better game since all that was instituted because all these quarterbacks are slinging the ball around without having to worry about getting absolutely demolished and concussed with late hits, low hits, and high hits. So uh, I feel like <laughs> that's an easy way that you could have a real and productive debate rather than just letting Tortorella do his thing. Connor McDavid has drawn five penalties this year. Uh, that is five fewer than the leader, which is Brandon Gallagher. Could be a couple coincidentals in there. You that's can hilarious. That is hilarious that Brendan Gallagher of all people leads that stat because the, the knock on him for years was that he would find himself in these, these, these big situations where he's in front of the net or he's in some quarter, he's trying to draw some penalty and nobody gets it before. I noticed like this year, like I felt like he was drawing a lot more penalties than he would normally get. So to hear him as the league leader in all situ in all situations, that's yeah. hilarious. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to save that for the next time somebody says he never gets a penalty. I'm, I want to pull that up and be like, yeah, um, he actually leads the league. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, carefully, probably, I'm sure there's a couple 
coincidentals in there. Like he might not be drawing them. He might be like you and you four four of the uh, four times or whatever, and that would be well. I guess that would be only forty percent of them. But you know what I'm getting at. It's it's uh, That's it's not like more that I it's not like he's drawing them the same way McDavid has drawn them, and that might be the problem yes. where there's ticky tack stuff or retaliation stuff going on with Brendan Gallagher when Connor McDavid is probably picking up these penalties more often than not when he's being interfered with constantly, which is still the case. Um, and there probably should be more penalties, but you know, let's just see how this season and postseason plays out. And I'm saying that. And I think a guy like Tortorella should say that because I am seeing a change in Connor McDavid. I don't see him complaining all the time, but he has reason to complain and we'll see what happens in the future here. Yeah. Uh, all that to say, like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it's not the best thing, I guess, to say. It would be nice if he was a little bit more complimentary, but uh, he yeah, doesn't need towards... to be. He doesn't need to be complimentary. He doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to be. But I was like, all right. Like, I wasn't up in arms about it as some people were, but like, I was like, okay, we don't, I don't need to hear this that much. And that's fair as well. Uh, let's move on to the Vancouver Canucks, who are truly awful. And this whole. <laughs> Off-season makeover, it seems, didn't work. Uh, it seems like there's already folks on the hot seat. Uh, they have the sixth worth re- worst record right now in the NHL by points percentage. Only, only the Seattle Kraken are keeping them from falling to the last place in the Pacific Division. One regulation win in their last nine games. I think that regulation win came over the only other team in the NHL, the only team in the NHL without a regulation win to this point, which is the Dallas Stars. In that nine-game sample, just two wins. Of course, one of them coming in overtime. Uh, and they've allowed 14 goals in their last two games, seven in each. And that's coming under the microscope of their owner, Francesco Accolini, actually traveling with the team. The fact that they're in Vegas might have to do with that. But maybe it's because he wants to have a closer eye on what's happening with Travis Green and Jim Benning and company. Their regulation wins this season. Again, I think they're through 14 games. Dallas, Seattle, Chicago three of the worst teams in the entire league. It is ugly, ugly in Vancouver. What do you see in Julian? Man, I I think Travis Green is probably going to be the first one out. I know Jim Benning is obviously an easy target, as, as we sometimes make him out to be on zone time. Uh, or if you just listen to the broadcast, I guess, or just any Canucks fan on how they feel about Canucks management, really. Anything, anything Sam-related? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think if you're in a situation where you can't get your guys up against teams like the Colorado Avalanche and you're laying eggs like seven to one, that's a very big cause for concern. Uh, we've raved about the the core that's there. Uh, it doesn't seem as if they're getting the best out of them right now. And you know what? Maybe there's no real aspirations to go on cup runs with this core at this present moment in time. They should still be way better than what they've got going on right now. And I think ultimately the first domino that's going to fall might end up being Travis Green on his way out. I don't know if Aquilini will put himself in a position where he'll be willing to fire both Green and Jim Benning at the same time, but one of those two pieces have to move, and I think it's going to be Travis Green. I I just think with, with maybe he got out as much as he could with the team that's there, and they just need a new voice, and they need to get themselves off to the next level of the revolution, but I don't know if Travis Green is the guy for this team right now. Yeah, I mean, I've always believed in Travis Green as a head coach, so I don't know exactly what's going wrong from him, from his standpoint, right? I don't know if what 
you know, control he may or may not have lost of the room, what's going on with him tactically. I, I just thought he was a pretty solid coach and he was doing well with what he had and which was less, I suppose, earlier in his tenure. And uh, I thought that was going to work. Honestly, it's a little bit shocking, but you're right. When you're at this point where the team is set, there are a lot of big names on the team. We all thought they improved in the offseason, despite, you know, some people not thinking that OEL was the best move or still bemoaning the ad of, tri- of Tyler Myers. Like we all thought this is a better team, at least on paper. So right now that falls on the head coach for that reason. Like invariably, that's what happens in season. It's kind of head coach stuff. And in the offseason, maybe you turn to who was in charge of putting the roster together. And that, of course, is Jim Benning. But I think that's a little convenient. And I'm looking at a guy like Elias Pettersson and just thinking, like, this isn't nearly good enough from him. Like, he wanted to be paid in the top, you know, echelon, top tier, top 1% of NHL players, and he did. And he doesn't, he hasn't performed like it for a couple years now. I got a few numbers here, so I'm going to read them out. Sure. But so Peterson, Patterson's scoring per 60 the last two years. So scoring rate per 60 minutes, 1.74 points per 60 minutes. So 196th in the NHL overall, overall, slightly worse than guys like Matthew Joseph, Ryan Strome, Mikhail Granlund, Drake Batherson. So he's missed time. He's dealt with some stuff, but over the last two years, he just has not performed like a superstar and his total five on five points. And again, it's important to note that he's missed time, but he drops to 308th in the NHL in five on five points over the last two years. So since his big year in 2019, 2020, right? Yeah. 2019, yeah. 2020, since yeah. that big, big year, he's 308th in five on five scoring. So he's done some damage on the power play, but still, this is the main condition in the NHL. This is where elite players have to dominate and show that they can. Perf- they don't have to rely on a power player or a man advantage to put up goals and points. 308th in the NHL. That's like Trevor Zegras has the same amount of points. He's played four fewer games. And Trevor Zegras, you know, a lot of a lot of hype behind him. He hasn't had a huge start this season. He was a rookie playing for a bad team last year. Like these things are not really the same, right? So he has not done his job since his sophomore season. And I think he earned up so much equity during that season where he was legitimately one of the top players in the game. But I feel like a lot of the analysis around the Canucks, like looks back on those first two Pedersen seasons, Calder, and then his next great year where he took another leap. And it's like, that was the reason he was able, he and Hughes were able to mask the issues, right? They, they had big problems in Vancouver. We all knew about these problems, but because Pedersen was so good and Hughes were so good, they were able to cover up a lot of that. And so that's clear that a reason why they're struggling now, they've struggled the last two seasons, is because he hasn't done that covering up. He hasn't masked the issues. So there's issues and there's superstars not performing how they need to. If any superstar around the league just stops playing like a superstar – there's going to be issues that arise from that. And I think it's a two part problem here. The fact that they have so they're so thin on the back end, Quinn Hughes is having to play 25 minutes a night and he's doing his job from a defensive standpoint and taking those minutes and giving them something out of them. But Pedersen's getting those minutes too. And he's not doing what he needs to do to help this elevate this team, which is clearly flawed. I think we knew that, but maybe their superstars just haven't played like superstars. 
it's a good point to make, but what do you do? You've already committed to Patterson. You've already kind of installed him as a key part of this core. And like at this point, and going back to my initial point here, you kind of have to make the coach be the first guy to fall here. Because yes, he did have the first two years, and now he man, the names you listed off in terms of where his points per game is at. You're talking about guys who are like bottom six forwards. I got so a couple more. Teams. I got a couple. I got a couple more for you. Sixteen points. He's got 15, 16 five on five points total points at five on five. Michael Delzato, Lawson Kraus, Luke Glendening also have sixteen points over the last two seasons at five on five. That's four flawed guys. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's not good. Yeah, that, and no. they played more. They played a few more games because PD did miss miss time. Yes, but that's that's the company we're talking about here. Yeah, that's not a guy who's supposed to be a super superstar in this league. That's not superstar numbers. But I think because of of where he's placed and the way and his contract situation is with the, with the Canucks right now, you kind of the team has kind of has to hope that another voice, another coach, could step in and bring him back to form. And if that doesn't work out, then you have a problem on your hands with with Elias Pettersson. I don't know. I I think I'm willing to give him, and maybe it's kind of whack to say, but I'm willing to give him a bit of the benefit of the doubt, at least to start, because he did have those good years. He's shown he can be a top player in the National Hockey League, but the team around him and and everything else kind of maybe has to work a little better for him, but it's, it's a bit tough, but he needs to be playing better. But I think the first thing you have to do is maybe give him a new coach to help him reach that next level of his potential. Yeah, you got to figure out why. Because Brock Besser hasn't had a good start either. I don't think Bo Horvat's numbers are very good either. I mean, Quinn Hughes is the only one that's sort of meeting expectations. So you got to figure out why there's a disconnect, it seems, between the superstar players. Like Connor Garland's played great. JT Miller's yeah. put up a ton of points. These are not like the they're the second tier of players that need to be great for them, right? So yeah. there's you got to figure out why it's not working with these players and if that's related to the coach because it's not related to what what's happening on the fourth line yes they're the depths of the lineup with vancouver getting absolutely smoked and that's killing them right now but that mm-hmm. doesn't excuse the fact that the best players Pedersen in particular just haven't shown the production that they need to at the price tags that they're at so why is it happening maybe it's the coach maybe there's something going on with them but i feel like they got to get to the bottom of that and again, I think you're right with your analysis off the top. More often than not, that comes down to the head coach because that's the only real change you can make. So that's, you know, they got to figure out what's going on and why it's looked so bad the last two years, despite, again, the lineup looking pretty good. It does, man. And they like the young players there, the goaltending is supposed to look good too. Like it has to be on, on coaching and management. The players, the way that they're set right there, like, this is a team that should be able to make the playoffs in, in this division too, right? Vegas is banged up enough as it is. They may just be able to do enough to make the playoffs. I get that the Oilers and the Flames look good, but like the California teams are not supposed to be able to compete. Like Vancouver has to get itself together. Here. Like they need to kind of right the ship. And I, th- I really think it's going to be at a point where Travis Green is going to have to go if this keeps going. Not to drop back to Toronto, but I mean, the Leafs, 10 days ago, 14 days ago, we're in a similar spot. Like they didn't have a decent win. The games that they had won were over Chicago, Ottawa, Montreal. Like they hadn't put their stake in the ground just yet. Then they got a win over Tampa, which was sort of fluky in that it came with a late winner when they were down one, nothing, and they were looking at another loss. Um, But that let them build some momentum. So maybe it's as simple as Vancouver getting a decent win 
and building off that and putting something together. I but agree. I don't know if either of you are confident enough that Travis Green's going to be there to guide that at this point, given where they're at after two ugly losses, after giving up seven goals per. It's not looking good in Vancouver at all. Yeah, you have to give him. I think. I think if anything, you give him the chance to try and dig himself out of those last few results. And if he can't do it, you pull the plug. But that is a good point with Toronto because it was true. We, there were two weeks ago, a lot of people were just kind of freaking out about what they were doing, but they figured it out on their own, and now they've gone back to being a good team in the National Hockey League. But the, if the Vancouver Canucks can be that too, they just need to figure it out. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, let's move on to the latest Hockey Hall of Fame class. 17 months after they were supposed to go in, or they were originally announced as Hockey Hall of Famers, we have Jerome McGinley, Marion Hossa, Doug Wilson, Kevin Lowe, and Kim St. Pierre into the hall as players, and Ken Holland goes in as well as a builder. Um, I love the Hall of Fame weekend, and I love it even more recently because you and I, as young and youngish guys, are still, we're getting familiar now with the Hall, hall of Fame inductees, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember Ginla. The, the peak of my hockey fandom was probably when Ginla was at the peak of his powers, right? Marion Hossa played in the NHL throughout my entire formative years, I'll say. And Doug Wilson and Kevin yeah. Lowe, maybe not to this certain extent because they're sort of late in the ballot guys, but, you know, we have some idea of what made them special as well. And Kim St. Pierre won Olympic gold medals while we were watching Olympic hockey, Julian. So I'm beginning to appreciate these nights more and more because, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight years ago, you know, you didn't really have the the recognition there. Like you didn't have, you didn't know them as a player as you would. You may have read or watched some highlights, but you didn't know who they were and what made them tick. But with Jerome McGinley and Marion Hossa, I mean, these are two shining examples of players that you and I can really, you know, understand what made them great and share our own experiences. So with Aginla or Hossa or whoever you want, I'll open the floor to you. What stands out about this group of players? Here's one other thing I'll mention specifically with Aginla and Hossa. They spent a lot of, of, of our formative years as hockey fans and as just people in general playing for Canadian markets. So it's not even just like, wow, these guys were just great and they played for teams like Arizona or Florida at the peak of their powers. Like Jerome Aginla, like that 2003-2004 season uh, where he brings the Flames on that run all the way to the Stanley Cup final, that was like an incredible thing to watch. Marion Hosa with the Ottawa Senators for quite some time, 
uh, those were some really great days. Uh, really awesome to see him perform. He, I really enjoyed watching him play. And uh, yes, I was definitely one of those uh, in my younger days, the uh, Canadians fans who thought that uh, once you see the other, remember that story about how there was like a rumor about Hosa being traded to the Canadians and like his gloves were like somewhere in like the locker room or whatever. They were marked like M Hosa. And then everyone like freaked out and everyone's like, oh my God, he's coming to the Canadians. That was a whole rumor that went around. No, I didn't, I, didn't I don't remember that. That was, oh yeah, that was a whole rumor. But uh, there was another Hosa that played for the Canadians once upon oh, a time, okay. Mar- Marcel Hosa. But yeah, it was those were fun days, but that's how good of a player he was. A lot of people would just been ecstatic at the idea of seeing a Marion Hosa play for the Montreal Canadiens. But Jeremy McGinley, uh, without a doubt, my favorite moment from him, 2010 Olympics, Crosby calling for Iggy. Like, if nothing else, Sidney Crosby has the golden goal forever. We all know that. But who did he call out to get that puck? He called out Aginla's name. And we mm-hmm. all remember hearing the Iggy before he gets that puck and goes to glory. Jerome Aginla might not have a Stanley Cup championship, but he will always have Olympic success. He can always say that there was a time where he was considered to be the best player in the National Hockey League, uh, a premier power forward. And the fact that you can get goals from him in buckets and he could get himself into a fight. Remember the fight with him and like Vincent Cavalier, I think during the final, that's one of the more, that's one of the wilder moments in national hockey league history. I know I'm focusing a lot on, on again, and Hoso. Those are two guys I uh, watched the most of the entire class here, but Doug Wilson's a guy who's been involved with the San Jose Sharks for years. And we know about how that organization has been one of the more Mm -hmm. longer, longer tenured guys there. Uh, Kim St. Pierre, we have to shout her out too. She was like the Patrick Waugh of women's hockey. Uh, at the peak of her powers in the early 2000s. And the fact that she was able to get a gold medal for Team Canada, you cannot disrespect that. So definitely, especially out in Quebec too, uh, her being of Quebec, like a lot of people out there, a lot definitely showed her love. So yeah, it, it's interesting that you point out the fact that a lot of these guys in these classes that are coming up now, they're they're featuring more and more guys that we've seen in our yeah. in our youth, I guess. I mean, we're still, we're still relatively young, I guess, but like, you know, you know what I mean. But yeah, it, yeah. it's cool to see these guys get their due. Yeah, I mean, I really appreciated this class. I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, 2002 Salt Lake, um, yeah, uh, compare not comparisons, but uh, connections. Uh, and that was like, that was sort of like a turning point moment for me as a hockey fan. Like that was as as excited as as I probably had been, um, because let's face it, when I, up until that point, I was watching losing teams in the market I was in, but. Like that was so exciting, right? Like to see all those incredible players. And what I liked about that team, what I loved about that team thinking back is Jerome McGinley wasn't like promised anything at that team. Like he was almost an outcast to a certain extent because Mario Lemieux, and Joe Sackick and all these established players and Jerome was still a young guy then. And he came up and not only did he play like play a role on that team, but he moved up the lineup and he was playing a bigger and bigger role as that went on. And he became a guy a lot of people were cheering for. And, you know, he's one of my favorite players of all time. He's a guy that I always cheered for when he was uh, when he was in the NHL. I wanted him to get that cup late in his career and it never yeah. happened. But that 2004 run in Calgary was like one of my most memorable moments as a hockey fan. Like it was just so fun to see that city like really go crazy um and jerome and those guys were so easy to cheer for i know we've talked about like canada's team and the concept of that 
And I admitted, like, I cheer for Canadian teams when they go on run because I think it's more interesting when Canadian teams are involved because of what we saw in Calgary. I think that shaped a lot of how I feel about that, watching that team, watching Jerome, watching him fight Vincent LeCavalier. As you mentioned, like, that was just, like, peak playoff hockey. And it was, like, it meant something. It was huge in that moment. And that puck went in. Marty Jelena should have had that overtime winner if there was video review. The horn yeah. would have sounded and they would have been celebrating a Stanley Cup championship. But You're right. Jerome was always like, he was just the epitome of like what I would have wanted to be as a hockey player. Like I was just so... Me too. He was just like the perfect hockey player, just the power forward, the perfect hockey player of like that generation, at least for me, in terms of everything that he could bring to the table. For Hosa, quickly, and I'll just mention the, the connection with Salt Lake. Kim St. Pierre won the gold medal in Salt Lake for Canada as the starting goaltender. So two uh, athletes that contributed to Canadian gold medals at the Olympics in this class. Very cool. But with Hosa, I just loved how badly he wanted to win a Stanley Cup. Just like brazenly making decisions, going from Pittsburgh to Detroit or Detroit to Pittsburgh because he wanted it so badly. And then when that didn't work out, I think he lost both of those, right? He did. Am I wrong? He He lost both. so, so, So he went to Detroit. Uh, and they ended up against Pittsburgh in the final. And I think, no, he was in Pittsburgh when they lost to Detroit in the final. And I think and then he, he went to the Detroit and they lost, and to, lost Pittsburgh. to Pittsburgh. And then after that goes to Chicago and wins and then the wins titles. Wins and, wins, and wins a couple, right? Yeah, he, he wins, wins like, two in at Chicago. least two or three. Wins two or three. Because they won one in 2010. Or did he win the next year? So he won all three of them. I think he won yeah, all three of them. Because it was 2010. Because it was 08 and 09 that it was Pittsburgh yeah. and Detroit. And he won yeah. in 2010 and won two more. Like he wanted it so badly. That's insane. And he went yeah. from from juggernaut to juggernaut to juggernaut, chasing it. And it was like awful what happened to him. If you could, if like going from like losing to the team, then joining that team and losing the team you left, oh, and then man. he joins the next best, you know, dynasty like team in Chicago, and and finally gets those cups. Like we don't see great players chasing like we see chasing cups at the end of the at the end of the careers. He did it really early. He was going after it and he was making decisions that were like, you know, they would blow our mind right now if, if hockey players are making decisions like that. So I appreciated the fact how, how bad he wanted to win. Uh, so that's what I remember about Hosa. And of course, that's what I remember about again, like just being the player that like checked all the boxes off. And I know we didn't really give any love to, to Kevin Lowe, but we're talking about a guy who was a fixture on some of the greatest NHL teams to ever do it in the Edmonton Oilers uh also bouncing around to other teams as well in the 90s as well but let's not sleep on kevin Lowe here i know i was a little young i don't i was not around until the uh, mid 90s of course so i missed the oilers glory days i think you were probably at the tail end of those yourself but uh kevin Lowe is definitely deserving uh to be in the hockey hall of fame uh as a player again as a main fixture on those wayne gretzky led edmonton teams and also he was on the 90 team that won without him as well yeah, almost in a way, like I don't have any memories of Kevin Lowe, but almost in a way like a victim of being in such a great circumstance. Like yeah. obviously they had so much team success, but he slurs, he slid a little bit in terms of importance. And maybe if he was playing, maybe being a part of that or, that environment brought out a level of him that maybe he didn't have. But it's also possible that if he played elsewhere and he was the guy and he was leaned on to do everything, he would have been even greater or even more recognized in terms of uh, how good of a player he was, and maybe he wouldn't have to wait so long to get in. But yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit overshadowed in this class, but clearly a great player in his own right. Absolutely. 
we are flying through things a little bit here. We're already at the yeah. tire pumps. Uh, go for it. Okay. Um, I know uh, as it's been over the last few weeks, it's been hard to come by finding, you know, stories that are positive and happy, uh, of course, considering what's been going on. But this one story this week uh, was really cool to see kind of play out. Uh, Zach Fucalo, who was drafted in 2013 by the Montreal Canadiens. I remember in 2013, uh, I think I was finishing CJEP and I was interning for TSN 690. And one of the hosts that was there, a guy named Sean Campbell, I think he was still there, actually. Uh, we were randomly just talking about goaltenders being developed. And he told me that it takes about eight years for a goaltender to, you know, go through his progressions and sufficiently develop into an NHL caliber starting goaltender. And while Zach Kali is not necessarily an NHL caliber starting goaltender right now, it is rather coincidental. It took him eight years from his draft year to eventually make it to the National Hockey League. And not only does he make it and play with the Washington Capitals now, uh, he ends up getting a shutout in his NHL debut. And, and that's and no one has ever done that in the history of the Washington Capitals franchise. Uh, seeing the video of him being celebrated in his locker room after the fact, that was a really cool thing to see. I think his family, they were able to get down to, I remember if they were trying to remember if they were in Detroit, I forget where they watched that game, but they all did everything that they could to be in the stands to watch their son play. And that was really cool to see. This is a guy who was the only one, and I think it is world junior class from the team Canada squad to have not played an NHL game as of yet. This is a guy who has played in levels as low as the ECHL and has found himself back in the national hockey league, plays his first game, and does as well as he did. Uh, he is very much deserving of a tire pump. Congratulations to Spangler Cup champion Zach Fucale and uh, making history uh, with the Washington Capitals and getting a shutout in his NHL debut eight years after being drafted. It's not too late if you're a goaltender and you don't make it to the NHL within your first three, four years. You can make it work for you like a guy like Zach Fucale did this, this week. Speaking of a victim of circumstance, like you mentioned like, what would we have expected from him if he wasn't a part of that Canadian World Junior team where he went 5-0 and and had a 9.39 save percentage? I mean, I think we just assumed, maybe like we did with Justin Pogge and others, that he was going to be this great goaltender who was going to take the NHL by storm and was going to be a surefire contributor for the Montreal Canadiens, even if there was a bit of a carry price effect or the specter of carry yeah, price there. I but uh, but we there, there was expectations, right? And instead, like, it's been... You know, jersey, stop after stop, jersey after jersey, Brampton Beast, St. John's Ice Caps, Chicago Wolves, Fort Wayne Comets. Like, he's been everywhere. And he comes back and he gets his chance and he makes it makes it happen. I was actually surprised. I didn't know that was his first NHL game because I swore I had seen him in a Montreal Canadian sweater. But it was just preseason. And yeah, he also played exactly. a preseason game for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I was actually shocked when I, thought, when I heard that it was his first. I thought it was wrong because I thought he had a chance and it just didn't work out. Um, but shout out to Zach Fucali. It's great to see uh, a good story and a guy that had Canada's attention before uh, recapture it, even if it is only briefly. Um, Joseph Wall is another high performer uh, at the World Juniors who got his chance, and he won, although it wasn't a brilliant performance. It wasn't a shutout like Fucale. Um, But he maybe gets an honorable mention. Jeff Skinner gets an honorable mention for me as well. Like a lot of heat on that guy. And he's playing really, really well for Buffalo. So I hope that continues. But my tire pump goes to maybe the best name in hockey. Rem Pitlick of the Minnesota Wild. <laughs> yes. 
not not a long road like Fucale. He's 24 years old, but he's been around for a little bit. He's in his fourth professional season, but he scored his first ever NHL goal last night, and he did it. Well, he followed it up with two more and scored a natural hat trick on the night in which he scored his first NHL goal. That is very cool. So shout out to him in the Minnesota Wild, who are on quite a tear to start the season. So there it is. A couple pumps, some smaller pumps, some deserving pumps, but pumps nonetheless. It's funny. After I finished eating all of those wings, I was like checking my phone and like I get like the updates from like the NHL, like PR Twitter account. And I mm-hmm. saw the I saw the name Rem Pitlick come up, and I remember just yelling out like Rem Pitlick scored a hat trick. I was like, that's the most random thing ever. But uh, that's pretty cool that uh, he was. A- I didn't realize actually those were his first three goals in the National Hockey League. That's that's pretty cool. Here's a bad joke. I bet he slept well last night. You get that <laughs> Rem sleep cycles. What? You know what Rem is a Rem cycle when you're sleeping. I know the band. No, come on. What's I'll, I, I don't, I'll teach I you band. what REM is and is sleeping. REM yeah, I, also, you have to know I have 20 jobs, so I don't sleep. So, of <laughs> course, I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay, I'm not finding a quick definition, but I believe REM, the REM's time spent in REM when you're sleeping is while you're dreaming. Okay. So, you can do a little, uh, you can do a little research later, but uh, I think I'm okay. ready for things. Anyway, okay. it was a bad joke. Not, not only was it a bad joke. Sleep paralysis. <laughs> as long as it wasn't a bad joke. I mean, it was a bad joke, but it didn't land as well, which makes it even worse. So, oh, <laughs> it's okay. Justin, it's okay. There, there, there's a reason why we're hockey media people and not comedians. And sometimes there's just an excuse to move on from uh, the podcast because... I'm at my wits end, it seems. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I leave for a week and this is where we're at. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Julian, Sorry, I'm glad man. you weren't uh, hospitalized after the Hot Ones challenge. Uh, I'm glad you. that you're, you don't seem worse for wear at all. So it was a successful night, another successful content night for Julian McKenzie. And this is another edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. See you, man. Peace. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.